Good morning again. My name is Marcelo Tolopilo. You don't have to try to remember that. I was a Tolopilo is Polish. Uh, my my dad was born in Poland. We're Polish Jews. And the name Marcelo, I was born in Argentina. It's a pretty common name there. But, you know, I have a brother named Danny and another one named Henry. And my mother must have been heavily sedated when she named me, but it's the name I have, Marcelo. Um, we are all, I'm, I'm with a ministry of preaching, teaching ministry, a Bible teaching ministry by the name of Walking in the Promises. And I've been doing that for 25 years and before that. And during that time, I've, I've been in the pastorate as well. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 33 years. She's the joy of my heart right there, my, my greatest gift on this earth, greatest friend. And we have four children, all grown. And uh, in fact, my oldest is 30, my youngest is 19. So I haven't had littles around for a long time. Um, but I wrote a book, and the Lord, I think, prevented me from writing it until my kids were gone. So they wouldn't be testimony against me. Or No, uh, uh, if I can give a plug for my book, it's called uh, Discipleship, God's Plan for Parenting. Because the premise of the book is in the title. It's simply this. Parenting, guys, is discipleship, right? I mean, we, well, what is the discipleship? What is the Great Commission, the Great missionary endeavor enterprise of the church. It is to go out and what? Make disciples. And that means introducing them by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and teaching them, once they enter the kingdom, the church, teaching them to observe all that Christ has taught us. And may I suggest to you that that great endeavor has to start at home. Because if we don't do that at home, what makes us think that we can go across the oceans and do it? Or if we don't apply that at home, how are people, you know, we tell people, hey, Jesus can make a difference. It just didn't make a difference in my life. But you take him. How, how is that believable? And so this great missionary endeavor, guys, belongs, it begins at home. And uh, the book, by the way, will be available for a short time uh, after the the hour. Uh, we did a soft launch. I have the hardest time saying that because I want to say soft lunch. <laughs> and everybody said, well, would you write a book about tapioca? What do you, uh, <laughs> what'd you do that for? Uh, we, we, we did a soft launch. You have to go Jersey with it. A soft launch. If not slightly Yiddish, soft launch. And we're going to do a hard launch or launch uh, right before the holidays when we release the ebook and also the audio book. But right now that's available. And really the title of the book and the premise of the book is the point of this little workshop. And I'm so gratified to be able to do this because I got to listen to most of Pastor Coe's first message and he did a lot of the hard work for me. He did a great job and he will teach us much because I'm going to speak on the same text. So if you weren't here, make sure you were able to download that and get that off, off the net. Um, you know, when I, I've traveled all over North America telling people that parenting is discipleship, when I tell them that, even homeschoolers, they, they kind of go, 
whoa, you know, you're right. I, I never even thought about it in those terms, but you're absolutely right. And we've lost sight of that a little bit. Back in the early days of homeschooling, this was uh, in the, I'm talking about the modern movement, American movement of homeschooling, because uh, homeschooling was basically probably invented by Adam and Eve. Okay, it's been around forever. But the reemergence of homeschooling in the last 40 years ago, 50 years ago, we as homeschoolers had a little weaker hold on academics because we just didn't have that many resources. You know, they were trying to figure out on the fly how to do this thing. And, but on the other hand, we had more as a group, as a movement, an idea of the why of homeschooling. I mean, people were threatened with jail and all that kind of stuff at the start because they wanted to take their kids and basically disciple them, mentor them spiritually. So we had a tighter hold on the why of homeschooling. Today, we have a tighter grip on the academics, like I said, but we've begun to lose a little bit of the vision of why we do this. And I think, um, you know, being tight academically is wonderful. I'm all for it. 100% um, believe in academic excellence. Um, my wife, there's so many more resources now, right? My wife is, uh, teaches high school chemistry to a group of homeschoolers. And she is certifiably, verifiably the greatest chemistry high school teacher that has ever lived. Yeah. If you don't believe me, you can ask my parents, you know, uh, which would be a hard thing since they're in heaven right now. Um, but anyway, we have so much more academically. But because we start parceling the kids out for the weaknesses that we have, whether it be math or chemistry, whatever, art, we begin to lose the home part of homeschooling. And when we do that, we also begin to lose our grip on why we do what we do. And guys, it's all about training the hearts of our kids, discipling our kids in the ways of the Lord. We started uh, homeschooling when my eldest son, Joshua, was it right after the third grade? No, yeah, right after the third grade. And he was one of these squiggly little boys. You know, you have those, doesn't everybody? Is there any other kind of boy? I, you, know, you know, always like moving, 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 moving. And he was so distracted, just like his dad. You know, it's like, squirrel! <laughs> and we were beginning to become concerned because he was falling behind the academic, you know, criteria. He, when we decided to bring him home, he was uh, a year behind in math, which is a problem when you're in the third grade. You know, there's a lot more to go. So we had academic concerns, and we brought him home. And I'll just make a long story short. The academic stuff righted itself really fast. I mean, really fast. Josh now teaches full-time at MSJC as a chemistry professor. Okay, so he's gotten the math down. He's forgotten more math than most people will learn, all right? So those things got taken care of, but what we noticed within a month of bringing him home, there was like his attitude was changing. It's like all of a sudden he wasn't like 
super concerned about wearing just the right kind of tennis shoes or having the right kind of haircut or, or the right kind of clothes. All those things are still important to him. But all of a sudden, the outward importance of those things began to diminish. And that's when we fell in love with homeschooling because we thought, hey, this is a chance for us to actually shape their values, to mold their character, to, to mold their thinking, to give them a worldview. Because the worldview he was getting was not what we wanted. He came home one day and he told us very matter-of-factly that whales once walked on, on land and that his sign, astrological sign, was Leo. And both those things were news to me, you know. And he had this wonderful, gregarious teacher who believed in astrology, of all things, and loved evolutionary science, or purported. And that's when we began to think, let's bring him home and work on the academics. And then we found out, man, this is a great way as homeschoolers to shape their minds, to shape their hearts, to shape their values. Because the heart of homeschooling, guys, is discipleship, spiritual mentoring. And I want to get into just a little bit of how we do that. And I'm going to go to the same text that Pastor coded. Whatever repetition you get here, it's by the design of the Holy Spirit. So if you got issues with that, go pray to him and ask him why he did this. But maybe he's, have you ever been reading your Bible and, and like all of a sudden your eyes fall heavy on a little paragraph and you're struggling with the very issues that it addresses and it's like the Holy Spirit is bringing you down and saying, read this, contemplate this. I think this is something that the Lord is trying to teach us all. So, but I, I'm going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 in just a little bit. But I want to unburden you with just a couple of thoughts. All right? Because let's face it, when we stop and think of the reality of mentoring spiritually these eternal souls, these treasures that God has entrusted to us to raise, that can be a bit overwhelming. Right? Of course, right. That's the way it goes. It's it's a burdening, heavy deal. Let me just unburden you with a couple of thoughts. One is that God is ultimately in control of your kids. All right? You don't have to play the sovereign one. There is one, and he's in control. Psalm 103, verse 19 says that God has established his throne where? In the heavens. What does that mean? That means above everybody and everything. And it says, and his sovereignty rules over all. And I think there's this this unspoken or this attitude, perhaps, among Christians, Christian parents, and, and particularly Christian homeschoolers, that says, if we just pour in the right Bible stuff, we're going to get X product, an excellent Christian young person. Listen, that's what we want, that's what we're working for. But ultimately, you, that's, a, that's a human being that you can't absolutely control at every phase of life. So we have to remember that God is in control. We have to be like Hannah, taking little Samuel to the Lord and saying, Lord, he's, I want to control, but I won't. It's yours. He's yours. God is in control. Does that ring a tone to anybody? 
Good. The other thing I wanted to mention real quickly is simply this. Parenting has never happened apart from sin. Did you ever think about that? This is My pastor brought this up to my attention. Parenting has never been done apart from sin. It's post-Genesis 3. You know, the... There was marriage, there was sinless marriage there for a little while. However, that lasted. They were in innocence in the garden, Adam and Eve. (coughs) Pardon me. And they had absolutely no issues with sin. Can you imagine how blissful that relationship must have been? Adam getting up in the morning and saying, Honey, I just want to make you happy today. I want to live to make you happy. I don't need to watch that silly football game. I just want to make you happy, honey, because that's what makes me happy. Must have been wonderful. I have to admit, I experience it more than most men because of my wife. I, I, I fell harder. I, I come from fallen stock much harder than my wife. But anyway, marriage was sinless for a while, but parenting has never happened apart from sin. And guess what? you will not be the exception. Guys, God does not expect us to parent perfectly. We can't do it, so don't even try. And that's why Peter, and this is, he's not talking about marriage in 1 Peter 4, but it, this is a truth that applies to marriage. He says, above all, be fervent in your love for one another, because love, what? Covers a multitude of sins. Guys, let your home be a home where the love of God and the grace of God reigns. And you are not going to be perfect parents, and your kids will not be perfect kids. Right? So I hope that lifts the burden just, just a little bit. Well, I want to go, if you've got a Bible, I, I, didn't, um, I didn't know we could project the stuff on, on the screen, so I didn't bring uh, any uh, PowerPoint for Scripture. But if you've got a Bible, and if you don't have a Bible, turn to this in your mind, because a lot of you know this. Oh, oh there's, uh, in the pew racks before you, there's uh, probably New King James, something like that. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's a very familiar passage to you. It's very interesting because this was a, a day of manifest destiny for Israel, okay, my ancient people. They had come out of Egypt. They had gone into Egypt as a family of 70 people, come out some 2 million, sinned against the Lord. 2 million of them died in the desert. That's a high price to pay for not believing, right? But now God had brought them to the plains of Moab. They were on the east side of the Jordan River. You hear a lot about the West Bank today. They were on the east side. All right? And they sat there for a month, and God gave them a series of messages through Moses. And the most important message was Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. That's really the fulcrum in which the whole book of Deuteronomy rests. And according to Jesus Christ, it contains the most important commandment in all of the Bible. So pretty important stuff. Pretty important message. And there was a demographic that God had in mind. And that demographic wasn't the military. You know, you're about to conquer the land, right? 
So you would think maybe the military would be important to talk to. Maybe the Mossad, you know, the, the secret agent stuff. <coughs> Pardon me. Perhaps the economist or the judges that had helped Moses rule the people during those years of uh, wandering in the desert, 40 years. But none of those demographics God chose out. He says, I want to address the most important demographic in the peop- on the pe- of the people of Israel to guarantee your success in, in the conquest of the land and your prosperity within the land. And that demographic was the family. That's what's important to God. They're about to conquer the land, and God says, I want to talk to the grandparents, I want to talk to the parents. And he tells them that the most important thing that they could possibly do to assure their conquest and to assure their prosperity and success in the land was to have spiritually vital families. A little bit different than the way we think, isn't it? We think, oh, it's the economy or the military. or God says, I want your homes to be in spiritual order and to be vibrant. And so he gives us Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9. Let's just pick it up uh, with verses 4 and 5, because we've already visited some of this this morning. But it says this, The great Shema of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And Jesus, of course, added to that, as we heard this morning, with all your mind. So that was the call that God placed on his people, his ancient people, and that applies to us. And the call was, love me with everything that you have. You say, well, how do you do that? What's the roadmap for loving God? Verse 6, and these words. What words is he talking about here? It's the words of the law, right? The scripture. That's what he's talked about, the importance of it in verses 1 through 3. He says, Israel, love me with your entire being and do it in accordance to how I have revealed myself. We have to know who he is in order to love who he is. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your, what does it say? Heart, right? Now, when you and I think of the term heart in Western culture, we usually think of the idea of the emotions, the seed of the emotions. And that's why on Valentine's Day, they can sell you everything from candy to vacuums if they attach a heart to it. Because they say, your spouse will love this, right? And and that's the appeal. We think of it in Western culture, when we think of the word heart, the term heart, we think of the emotions of love. And that's perfectly all right. But the Hebrew word, levav, is much broader than that. The Hebrew word for heart literally takes in the whole immaterial person. In fact, it's such a, a, a vivid and strong word that sometimes it's translated just bowels. I know that to us doesn't sound really good. You know, it's like, you move my bowels is not a good thing to tell your wife. But it's, it's because it's such a strong compulsion there. And so the heart, in the Hebrew mindset, it's, it's a seat of the emotions, but it's a seat of the intellect and the volition as well. This is where you and I think, where you and I feel, where you and I choose to do. And God says, take my word and let it saturate all that. 
Let my word illuminate your, your cognition, illuminate your, your emotions, illuminate your desire to do, and let me be the center of it. That's what God is saying. He calls us to that bibliocentric view of the home. The word of God is to be dominant in the home, and it is to fuel our love for the Lord. That's a, again, Pastor Co did a great job with that. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but I have to reiterate it. How are we to disciple our kids? By first of all, loving God with our entire being and letting that love be saturated or be brought to us through the Word of God. And then also we are to take this Word and this love for God and demonstrate it, teach it in the context of everyday life. This is what Israel was called to do. Look at again verse 6 and then following. And these words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart, the seat of the mind, will, and emotions. You're, you're the core and center of life, who you really are. And then it says, and you shall teach them God's words diligently. By the way, teach them diligently is one word, one verb in the Hebrew, and it's a very forceful command. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall, what? Talk of them. The word that is on the heart that saturates our inner person, because it's on the heart, it's going to be on the lips. Jesus said that the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, correct? You put in bad stuff, bad stuff comes out of those lips. We put in the word of God, the thoughts of God come out of our lips. So end these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And we had that beautifully alliterated for us earlier today, so I won't do that. But here's the thought. The word of God that saturates our being is to be on our lips, and we talk about it, we think about it, we speak of it, whether we're chilling at home, whether we're out in the highways and byways of life, from morning until evening, it is to totally dominate our thinking, our choices, and our vocabulary, our talking. And then verse 8. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You've seen the phylacteries, right? Worn by Orthodox Jewish men little leather boxes attached to the hand and to the forehead with leather thongs. And in the box, there's a little scripture. And the thought here is that the Word of God is to control the dad's thinking, the parent's thinking, so that it expresses itself in the hand. Or that's a, that's a biblicism that means your life's work, how you live out your life. That's why Moses prayed, oh, you know, confirm the work of our hands, confirm our life. So the, the thought, the word of God that dominates the thinking expresses itself in the way we live so that our sons and daughters can see what and who God is. Then verse 9, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You've probably seen a mezuzah too, right? That's another little box. We 
We Jews like boxes. <laughs> but it, it's nailed to the doorpost of your home. And again, there's a scripture in there. I, we have a mezuzah in our home, and we don't have the traditional scriptures. We have Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9 in there, which was included in that. But we also have uh, Psalm 1, the, the first three verses about the righteous man loving the law of the Lord. And we also have Colossians 1, which, which talks about, of course, the great deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our king. But that mezuzah was a great reminder. It's a reminder to me. You know what it reminds me? When I go in and out of my house, is that my rules don't apply. God's rules do. God, it's there as a sentinel to say the word of God decides what stays in here and what goes out. Right? What comes in and what goes out. It's a sentinel. That's what the Word of God is. It's a, it's a centurion that guards our home. Now, let me just principalize this whole text, this whole paragraph, if I can squish it down into just a couple of thoughts. What Scripture is teaching us through this text is, is really amazing to me, but it, it's teaching us that the main educational institution for the development of character for the training of values, for the development of a world view, for the way we think about the world, that needs to be the home. In other words, mom and dad first. Scripture lays this on us. Now, we can't take these verses and pound our non-homeschooling friends and say, you need to homeschool. We can't do that. But we need to make sure, we need to be doubly sure that the covenant activity of God, and what I mean by that is simply this, the things that we are bound to do, teaching of his truth, the formation of values, the development of character, all of that, according to this text, has to happen first in the home, as a matter of course. Because let me tell you something, this is no news to any of you, but the development of our children spiritually, their the development of their character and values, that responsibility does not belong to the schools. And let me tell you something else. It does not belong primarily to the church. The church is there to come alongside. It's there to help. It's there to train parents. It's there to, to affirm the things that are taught in the home. But God says, in terms of who's responsible, who do I want teaching the next generation who I am through the Word of God, it's got to be mom and dad. That is our calling, men and women. That is our job. And uh, oh, what's the time? This goes to what time? 12.30. Okay, so I've got just a little bit more time here. You know, this uh, whole... okay. So let me give you the overview. We are to love God. That's the main command, right? Through the truth of God. And then we are to take our love and our knowledge of God and through daily life communicate it to our children in the context of life. And that last point that we communicate God's truth through the context of life carries with it a couple of important suppositions or understandings. The first is this. And this is really a challenge for us in our modern context. But teaching our children in the context of daily living means that you and I 
are going to give our children the lion's share of our time. Time. Notice the, the different time references. When you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. What does that mean, when? That's a reference to time. Training children, discipling our children, takes the lion's share of our time. And that, my friends, is a challenge for today's family. We are splintered in so many directions, or can be. It's a challenge. If you uh, were to hang around me for any length of time, you would hear me tell you, in one way or another, that you will never regret a decision that gives you more time with your spouse and children. Now, apart from some ridiculous application of that principle, like I'm quitting my job so I can spend more time with my family, that has always proven true. Those decisions that you make to give you more time with your kids and with your wife, even if it means a pay cut, or it means a move, or it means some kind of sacrifice, you will never regret it. You might regret the other. And I get a little pushback when I, when I tell that, especially to guys. Because they'll say, oh, well, yeah, Marcelo, I understand. I, I totally understand. You, you know, we need to give our children time. But it's not so much an, an issue of quantity. It's really an issue of quality. I want to give my children quality time, not just junk time, just quantity, just time, preponderance of time. And I've always asked the question, I say, okay, well, what's, what's quality time? And I can't get a straight answer. I mean, I get some of the traditional stuff, you know, um, do something special. How do you create quality time with your kids? Seriously. Do you go, okay, kid, you got 30 minutes, you're on the clock, go. This is quality. You're not putting up. Slacker. No, I mean, I, what do you do? Do you do something really exotic like kite flying in the Himalayas? You know, what, do you just, some people think that quality time is throwing money at something. You know, just take them to Disney World. Spend thousands of dollars to go see Mickey. I love Mickey, man. I, I love Disney World. I love Disneyland. I've never been to Disney World. Well, we've been to the happiest place on earth. Why go to the second happiest? I, you know, those are all wonderful things. But usually what I find is that spouses differ on what they think quality is. And you know what I always tell people? I say, just give them preponderance of time. Give them big old Costco, gnarly-sized chunks of time. And you know what? Quality will find its way somewhere in the mix. You come home from work, you say, yeah, but I'm tired. I need to go buy a, a stinking fuse from Home Depot. I don't need to bring people with me. I just want to veg and go buy a fuse and come back and eat and sleep. You know, you're tired. Your kid's probably tired too. Be tired together. Take them with you. Put your arm around her shoulder, his shoulder, and say, Hey, honey, what, you know, what's going on today? What, what has been the hardest thing for you today? What has been the best thing for you? T talk to me. You know, take them to the DMV. Take them to the post office. Teach them the art of standing in line. <laughs> it's a life skill, am I right? 
I, I read this on the internet, so it has to be true. It said that the average person spends three years of their life standing in line. In my case, it would be much, much longer because I always pick the wrong line. No matter where I am, I pick the wrong line. So if you were to subtract all the years of wrong line standing in my life, I would be about 12. Yeah. Don't you hear it? You move to the line that has two people at Walmart. You're in the 10-foot line, you know, 10-deep line. You move over here, and somebody needs a price check on left nostril inhalers or something, you know, and they're looking the store over. We don't know where it is. In the meantime, 10 people have processed and all their families. Take them with you. Share ordinary moments. And and I, you will not have an epiphanal moment every time you go out. I couldn't handle the pressure. You know, a life-changing experience every time I go out, I couldn't handle it. But teaching in the context of life means time, equals time. And one more thing, it also equals engagement. This is, this is a, a big one for us. I remember hearing Stephen Covey, who wrote the seven habits of highly successful people. He's not a Christian, but he was just close, quoting significant statistics of parenting. And, uh, <coughs> pardon me, he said that the average dad spends two hours a day watching television and five minutes interacting with his children. That ought not to be, right? It should be the opposite, if, if anything. We need to engage our kids. I remember when... Uh, <clears throat> Pardon me, the dry air and the air conditioning works against me. Five minutes. Okay, thank you. And then we have some questions, possibly. But uh, we took our son to the University of Michigan where he began his graduate studies. And we had driven three monster days to get there to Ann Arbor, beautiful place. And we stayed at a family-friendly hotel. And the next morning we went for their free breakfast, you know, such as it was. And we just kind of schleppily went down there and... We sat down, and we were just kind of goofy and laughing, just talking. And then 10 minutes into our time there, this dad walks in with his son, and they were father and son. They were lookalike separated by 30 years. You know, it's like, oh, dad, son. And they were directly catty corner from me with a direct shot. And I, I kind of observed them out of the corner of my eye. And... This dad, in the 20-plus minutes that they were together at breakfast, did not address his son once. You say, well, maybe they were just engineers, you know, <laughs> laconic people, Bob, mathematicians, right? And that wasn't the case because his dad took three phone calls in the span of that 20-plus minutes that were business calls, and he took them with great warmth, and energy. Hey, how's it going? But yeah, how's that? How's, you're keeping your tee shot straight and all this kind of stuff. Not one word to his son. And I just wondered, I wonder how that made that boy feel. You know, dad is willing and even anxious to talk to people, but not to me. We need to not just spend time about one another, but time engaging our children. That's why we have to be very careful with the, the devices, right? I know people that think that they've spent a lot of time together because they've all gone in the same car to a soccer practice and they're all plugged into their games. They get out of the car, dad's on 
the, the smartphone while the kid's practicing, then they repeat, you know, rinse, wash, repeat on the way home. Teaching our children in the context of time, guys, requires, in the context of daily living, requires time and engagement. This is, that's why it's to dominate. The Word of God is to dominate everything we say, we think, we feel. Because life becomes school. Right? Well, let's just uh, pray and then open it up for any questions you might have. And I will refer any answers to my wife, Valerie. <laughs> Not really. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this uh, short time around your word and uh, around the fellowship of your people in this casual atmosphere. Lord, we thank you again for all the, the hard work that has gone into preparing for this. And we pray, Lord, that the fruit of it would be a blessing upon these these parents, Lord. Strengthen them. Give them a sense of awe of uh, the, the, the treasure that you have entrusted to them to raise up eternal beings in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Lord, equip them for that end and bless them in, toward that end as well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.